Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you for your um, amazing work, your great plan of salvation um, uh, throughout the whole world. We thank you for um, just seeing what you're doing in Namibia at the moment through the rose. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, your precious word that reveals your great plan of salvation through your son Jesus. And as we read uh, from Romans 15 today, um, as we're coming to the close of this wonderful um, letter, speak to us uh, deeply through it, Father. Um, challenge our hearts and, and refresh us in, in the wonders of your glory uh, in the gospel. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 15, 1-13 We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever found yourself caught up in something that's much bigger than yourself, unwittingly caught up in something that's uh, really so much bigger than you or what your, what your plans are. The kind of classic movie about this uh, is a movie, for, I think it's from the 90s, called Forrest Gump. You might have seen it. It's a story about this really simple guy who just keeps getting swept up in things that are much, much bigger than himself. Uh, so through no design of his, of his own, he ends up being on the All-American football team becoming a war hero, playing an international ping-pong, building an empire of shrimp boats, meeting President Nixon and being the one to uncover the Watergate scandal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great story, this guy who just kind of gets unwittingly sort of thrown into this big, something much bigger than himself. It's surprising when that happens, right, when you uh, get caught up into something that... Um, some kind of thing that's just, just bigger than your own uh, perception, your own thoughts and dreams... Uh, friends, we're coming to, as Steve has said, we're coming to the end of Romans. We're actually going to, we've got quite a few more to go through it, so there's lots more still in there, but we are coming to the end of Romans, and we're coming to the end today of a particular section in Romans. If you've been with us over the last month or so, you'll know that this kind of section from the start of chapter 14 through to this passage, it's a really important part of the book. Um, Paul's gone through this great um, uh, he's outlined his, this gospel, this great announcement to the world about what God has done through Jesus. 
But in chapter 14, he turns to this particular issue that the church in Rome were facing, this serious problem of disunity, of fracturing over what he calls disputable matters. That was back at the start of chapter 14. We looked at that. Uh, and just to bring everyone up to speed again, just very quickly, he's, he's highlighted a couple of different things in his response to that. Uh, a few weeks ago, we saw in the start of chapter 14, he says the first thing you need to know about this, in, in order to address this, this issue of this church that's kind of at, at risk of um, sort of fracturing its, um, its disunity over disputable matters, the first thing he says is you've got to know who you are. Know your identity, who you are in Christ. This was back in chapter 14. If you're a Christian person, God has welcomed you into his family only by his grace, not because of anything you've done. So welcome each other. That's what he said back there. You, you have one Lord, you have one judge, and it's not each other. It's Jesus, and you will stand before him. And there was that great promise, if you are trusting in Christ, you will stand before him because he is able to make you stand. Uh, then last week, uh, in the second part of chapter 14, we saw Paul's other kind of next um, um, response to this issue of quarrelling over disputable matters. His next response was love, if we saw it last. Flowing out of the gospel, Paul said, make up your mind not to cause each other spiritual harm. Make up your mind, not, not only to that, but to make every effort to do what leads to building each other up. Make every effort to lead, do what leads to peace. And in this passage today, and we've seen Paul kind of do this a few times, this passage today, it's like Paul kind of zooms the camera right back. I don't know if you've seen those, uh, you might have seen those videos where you have something that's right on the ground and they zoom right back up to, there's one that goes right back into space and kind of gives the biggest picture. It's kind of, it's kind of like what Paul's doing here. He, he suddenly put, zooms back right in the middle of the action to take in the whole scene and so you can see the big picture. Uh, he sees this church in Rome, this little gathering of believers he sees this church in Rome as being caught up in something infinitely bigger than them, caught up in something huge. And when it comes to the unity of this group, the unity of this group, there's much more going on than simply people getting on well together. There's much more going on. There's, there is something good about that. But you can get that in any number of different groups, right? Getting on well together because you like the same sport or the same kind of interest or whatever it is. You can get that in any... The unity of this group is not about getting on well together for our own sake. Ultimately, what Paul does here is he pulls the camera back and shows that the unity of this group is not actually primarily about them. It's about God and his glory. So let's get stuck into this great little passage. It should come up on the screen as we're going through. Um, uh, and if you have a handout, it'll help you sort of keep track of where we're up to if, that, if you'd like to. But he, Paul starts in verse 1. He kind of recaps everything he's said so far in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. He's saying, commit yourself to this church family not with an attitude of kind of seeking to please yourself, of analysing everything according to whether it suits you or whether you can exercise your freedom. This was the issue uh, in Rome. 
Commit yourself to this church family with an attitude of self-forgetful love, of building your brothers and sisters up. That's basically what we've been hearing in the last few weeks from Romans, right? And then, in, then Paul does the, he turns in verse 3 to bring Jesus into the equation. He talks about Jesus in verse 3. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See what Paul's saying there? Jesus didn't live for his own pleasure. He didn't live for himself. But what's really important here, though, is this quote, this quote that's in um, speech marks up there. It's a quote from a psalm, the psalms in the Bible, from Psalm 69. Uh, Psalm 69 is a psalm about a righteous man who is persecuted, he's in agony, he's overwhelmed. And uh, uh, the reason for that, well, let's, let's go to it. It should again come up on the screen. Psalm 69, this is from this psalm, this guy who's overwhelmed. For I endure, he's talking to God here. I endure scorn for your sake. And shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. This person that Paul is saying is what Jesus kind of steps into this mould. He's a person who's so consumed with zeal for God's house, God's glory that he takes the insults that people are throwing at God and he kind of takes them on himself. And Paul's saying here, obviously Jesus lived a selfless life. Um, you just need to read the Gospels to get any, any page of the Gospels to get that. But Jesus' selfless life wasn't primarily about him just being a nice guy. It wasn't primarily about that. It was about him being consumed with zeal for God's house. For God's glory, he gave himself up so that his heavenly Father would be glorified. And Paul prays that that same attitude would fill the Roman church as they gather together, these Roman Christians. Verse 5, back in Romans now, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul's writing, he's writing against a kind of self-centeredness in, in the church, right? He sees it's a problem, especially over these disputable matters that aren't central to the gospel, where people are demanding their rights instead of loving each other. Um, one, alternative, one alternative that you kind of get some hints of here to being self-centred is to be what's called um, maybe other person-centred or something like along those lines. Instead of having your own desires driving you, you have those of the other person. Uh, there's kind of hints of that here in verse 2, each of you should please your own neighbours for their good. But what's really interesting here, though, is that for Paul, the ultimate answer for self-centeredness 
is, is not ultimately other, actually to be other-person-centred either. And I think there's good reason for that. Um, being other-person-centred can too easily turn into a kind of idolatry where we turn the good opinion of other people into our idol, <laughs> into our God. So we're always seeking to please others, not to build them up, but because we crave their approval. Or uh, being other person consented can, which in itself is, there's good things about it, but it can also become a kind of manipulative thing. There's this great passage, if you've read C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters, uh, this fantastic book, there's this great passage in there. Uh, He describes this ridiculous scene of people trying to outdo one another in selflessness, uh, in unselfishness. Uh, so it gets to this kind of point where they're saying, no, 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 I'll do what you want, even though I don't really want to, kind of making sure that they know that you don't really want to. But no, 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 no I'll give up myself for you, I'll do what you want. Uh, he has a great line describing a woman. She's the sort of woman who lives for others. You can always tell the others by their hunted expression. <laughs> well, there's... No, for, for Paul, as, as, as good as there's good things to say about this idea of being other person-centred, for Paul there's actually a, a deeper and richer way. The answer to this threat of selfishness in the church, the reason why the strong can easily give up their rights for the weak, the reason why we can live not to please ourselves but for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ isn't ultimately because we're centred on each other, but because we're centred on God. You see what Paul's getting at here, this beautiful vision here, what Paul prays for this church is a united body, not everyone looking inward at themselves, not even primarily looking to each other, but first of all, a united body of people looking up to God so that we might, with one mind and one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's great purpose. Uh, This gathering of people from all different nations and cultures and backgrounds and interests, that's his great purpose. Uh, Accepting, welcoming each other, this, this great gathering, accepting and welcoming each other in order to bring praise to him, in order to bring glory to him. So friends, our unity isn't just for our own sake. Our unity in Christ is so that we might together, with one mind and one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and when we start to kind of have our hearts tuned to this reality, this yearning for God's glory, this sharing in the mind of Christ, this desire to see God glorified, then we'll start to see what a tragedy it is when quarrelling takes root in, among the people of God. It's a tragedy not just because it's unpleasant on a kind of horizontal level. Ultimately, it's a tragedy because of the vertical <laughs> axis a tragedy because it dishonours God. It stops his people praising him. It brings his name into disrepute with the world watching on. And so Paul says in verse 7, verse 7 will come up on the screen, accept one another then, 
just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This next little part uh, of this section in, in the book, uh, the whole, it kind of gets at the, the whole story of the Bible is the story of God's promises to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those promises being fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just come and say, right, promises fulfilled, game over, see you later. Uh, he built into those promises, built into those very first promises, were that this blessing of God... The, the possibility to be reconciled and made righteous with, before God, built into those promises, were that those blessings would go worldwide, would be global. This was a vision of God's blessing going to all nations, to all people. That's why Paul gives those quotes from the Old Testament. We'll go up on the screen. I won't go through them all, but he gives these quotes just to show that through, all through the Old Testament, this is in view, and this global people of God who are gathered uh, to bring him praise, to glorify him. Uh, verse 9, uh, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. And he lists a number of others that uh, get a similar sort of thing. When we welcome and accept each other, when we stop judging each other over disputable matters, when we make up our minds not to do anything that will cause spiritual harm to each other, when we work hard and make every effort to do what leads to peace and the building up of Jesus' body, when we don't seek to please ourselves, but instead seek to please our neighbour for their good, something incredible is happening. By God's grace, do you see what's going on here? By God's grace, we are actively taking part in his great, global, eternal purposes to gather a people from every nation through his Son for his own praise and glory. That's what is the ultimate driver for church unity. The glory of God, see him praised by his people. Um, we heard from Mike and Karen Rowe before, so they're in Namibia. Um, I got in touch with them to just, I thought it would be interesting for us to hear how this might have played out for them, because they're, they're in a very different culture and uh, they will need to be sacrificing their own rights in ways that we can't uh, and we don't because of our culture. But we, we, it, it might help be helpful to hear uh, how it's kind of affected them. Uh, he might wrote back with a number of different kind of examples. One of them, uh, he said, was the biggest one, uh, was the problem of alcoholism that has, has had a really widespread and devastating effect in Africa. Uh, and so... Uh, what's, how that's kind of played out is that lots of Christian people in, in Africa consider even to drink alcohol to be a sin. Uh, lots of Christian people uh, do that, or even, he said, even working for a brewery. Uh, so for Mike and Karen, even though they don't have that same... They, they actually are confident that that's not right, in God's eyes, uh, that that's not right. Um, uh, they, and they don't object to uh, enjoying... Uh, in, you know, in moderation and, and with thanksgiving, enjoying God's 
gifts, including alcohol. But he said, we don't want to cause our brothers and sisters to stumble, so we just won't have any around where it may cause a brother or sister distress or lead them to act against conscience. We won't even have any in the cupboard if people are coming over, as etiquette about looking through other people's cupboards is not the same as in Australia. <laughs> so they won't even have any hiding in the cupboard because having people over in Namibia, you know, they'll find it. But that's an example, isn't it, of people who are... They're, 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 con they're concerned with God's glory, that he might gather a people from all nations to himself to bring him praise. And if that means getting rid of the alcohol in your house and never drinking again... What an easy choice that would be if you're concerned with God's glory, if that's what's driving you. Okay, uh, friends, Paul knows what he's describing here is in human terms unthinkable, right? He knows what he's talking about here is actually, uh, you know, it's unthinkable. A community of people who would not otherwise associate together, uh, who are bound together with bonds that are closer uh, tighter than family, than culture, than nationality, than history in Christ. When he looks at the Roman church struggling with this issue of divisions and disunity between the uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, between the weak and the strong, he knows it would be easy. He knows how unthinkable that is. He knows it would be easy to give up hope. That's why he finishes this whole section off with a prayer kind of what better way to finish this whole section talking about unity in God's church he lays it all before God he's confident that what's impossible for us God can do because this is his plan it's his purpose right back from the very beginning with Abraham and I this has been his purpose all along and his plans never fail he is the God of hope in verse 13 and Paul trusts that as God's people are united together to glorify him, to praise him, to offer, as we heard back in chapter 12, to offer their whole lives as living sacrifices to him. As they, in verse 13, as they trust him, as they entrust their lives to Jesus, to Jesus' death and resurrection in their place, Paul trusts that God will fill them with joy and peace so that they might have a little bit of hope. Nah, you see what it said? So that they might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, friends, how do we process all of this? In a way, Paul hasn't given any new application. He hasn't sort of given a new instru instruction for the church. Now, the apostles' word here is the same, except one another. But what he has done here is he's pulled the camera back. Uh, to his ex he wants us to, to expand our horizons to see the big picture of why Christian people live like this together. We accept each other in Christ church, not only because of our identity, who we are in Christ. We accept and welcome each other not only because we've been welcomed ourselves, and we stand under one Lord Jesus. We accept each other not only out of love for each other, as we heard last week. Ultimately, we accept each other for the glory and praise of God. And that's something that we need God to do in us. I'm going to pray for us as we kind of wrap all those things up. We finish up. I'm going to pray. Uh, 
what more appropriate thing to do than to use Paul's own prayer for us. I invite you as I'm praying that to kind of make it your own in your heart as we finish this really, I think, a really important section. Um, If you missed previous weeks, they're up on the web if you want to hear them. Um, But let's pray to finish up. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. We do thank you for the incredible truth that you have welcomed us who didn't deserve it into your family, into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, as part of um, citizens of your kingdom, we come under one good and life-giving Lord, our Lord Jesus, before whom we have every confidence we will stand because of your grace. Lord, may these truths soak deeply into us and transform the the way that we live together. Father, give us this attitude that Christ had, an attitude that is consumed with your glory, that desires above all things to see your name honoured. Lord, help us to know how that um, applies with us, for each of us in individual ways, Uh, whether that's reconciling relationships, whether that's uh, giving of ourselves for your glory in your church. And Father, as we finish, we we do pray that same prayer that Paul prays. Lord, we, we pray, we plead with you, please fill us with hope and all joy and peace as we trust in you. Please, Father, over, make to overflow within us that same hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your spirit, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for all your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.